All right, everybody, welcome to the April 28th edition of Cascadian Views. Uh, I've got Chris, JJ, and Dan with me this week. How are you guys doing? Hello, doing well. Doing all right. Okay, uh, we seem to have mostly got on the top end here, for the international stories at least, a lot happened on Korea. There was a lot of movement. Um, there was a, a summit for the first time in years and a North Korean leader crossed into the South for the first time, I believe, ever since the war. Um, North Korea has pledged to give up its nuclear program. I don't know how much we believe that, but they've said that. Uh, South Korea is kind of jumping on board with this. They're celebrating that. There was a very symbolic meeting with hugs uh, and hand-holding, which I guess is a Korean <laughs> cultural thing. I wasn't really aware of that, but yeah. Um, it also sparked a, a kind of craze for a North Korean food dish in the South. These uh, Pyongyang cold noodles, which have a different name in the North, but that's what they're called in the South. Uh, noodle shops in the capital uh, of Seoul were seeing lines around the block for this dish in celebration. Uh, it seems to be something that's really caught on on the Korean peninsula that this might actually be happening this time. Hmm. Do you guys think it's happening? Man. I, I mean, I hope so, but, you know, also pretty skeptical. Um, I mean, you know, they they signed their little statement, and, and that sounds cool, and it's totally non-binding, and there's no details, but, you know, it's, it's an excellent first step. We've got to sign a paper. Everybody agrees to not be dicks anymore. This is, baby steps are important. Um... I'm worried about next month's meeting with Trump, um, either because he might give the farm away and not understand, or just shit in the pool so much that even like a non-binding agreement such as this could get soiled. I was going to say, I mean, of all the potential risks to this agreement, I think really that's the biggest hazard at this point, isn't it? I mean, there's really not much else, I think, to be all that concerned or that's likely to derail this. I mean, this was something that uh, the South Korean president campaigned on was, you know, in improving relations with North Korea. This is something that I think the Kim regime probably has some incentive to do, especially since They've apparently had some setbacks in their ability to run their nuclear program with uh, this, uh, I guess, disaster at one of their uh, uh, development sites. So, right. Yeah. yeah what's it's kind of reminiscent of Star Trek six. Actually, the peace between the Federation yeah. and Klingons was forced by the, the explosion at the mining facility in orbit around Kronos and the disaster that was taking place. Um, North Korea, I, I guess, just to give some background on this, does the nuclear testing underground. Um, right. This has kind of a, a long history. Um, in fact, the fastest object human beings have ever created was likely the result of an underground nuclear test and was a manhole cover. Uh, there's a fun story behind that, but a high-speed camera running at, I, I think, literally hundreds of thousands of frames a second managed to catch it in a single frame while it was going upwards. Uh, they don't think this manhole cover made it into orbit. They think it was probably obliterated by the atmosphere on the way up. <laughs> but yeah, 
So there is a, a long history of exploding nukes underground. This was what North Korea had been doing um, through seismic uh, signals that they picked up. They believe that it has now catastrophically collapsed in the earthquake, that they, mm-hmm. they can't do testing in here because there's, there's nothing left. It's filled in. Yeah, so, so yeah. I think that's, that's where a key question comes up, whether this is just an attempt to um, come up with some breathing room while they get their program up and running again. Yeah, uh, yeah there's very little to lose and an awful lot to gain, especially in international prestige and perhaps relaxation of existing sanctions. Yeah, I'd say that that's definitely their play at this point. It, I mean, it, it makes the most sense. And it'll be interesting when the when you get the kind of detailed proposals from each side, because one of the ongoing ones for North Korea, you know, vis-a-vis demilitarization of the Korean Peninsula, is that U.S. forces leave South Korea, which is generally a non-starter for the U.S. I, right. well, I'm sorry, Chris, did you say be, that uh, was an issue for who? Uh, for the U.S., that's generally a non-starter. Yeah, but I guess, were you talking about North Korea demanding this, or were you talking about somebody else? I, I missed North Korea. For that. Yeah. North Korea. Okay, that. I was yeah. going to say, because from talks with China, China's actually willing to accept North Korea or uh, American troops on the Korean Peninsula as long as they stay south of the current DMZ. This was one of the things that came out with the diplomatic cable leaks uh, from Wikipedia. But I think that Trump and Pompeo might actually be people who would be okay with just closing down those bases. I mean, there. You know, it's it's a non-starter for any administration, but this is the other administration, right. so everything's on the table. Like, if the North Koreans and the Chinese can assure Trump that it'll save them money, and maybe you know, he can use that land to develop some other real estate venture for his family. Trump Tower, Pyongyang. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just imagining how many strokes John Bolton's going to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, one of the few concrete steps uh, that is being taken on this is that apparently, if all goes well, they're going to sign an actual armistice to end the Korean War. Uh, the Korean War is, I believe, the oldest technically active war in the world, although mm-hmm. they haven't done any actual fighting for 50 years. Um, but it was ended with a a ceasefire and not an armistice. They're they're just at a truce right now, basically. Right. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I would also mention that if you want to see maybe a little bit about what North Korea um, thinks is going to come of this, it has been basically ignored in their domestic media. Um, it received. Roughly nine seconds of coverage in the middle of a a two-minute news break in the middle of the day uh, Where it was discussed as you know peace talks and nothing else. They didn't show any video. They included uh, two still pictures of uh, Kim Jong-un and That was it. It wasn't repeated in their nightly news. It was never mentioned again the only mention that the average North Korean has seen that this is even happening is that and I mean, that kind of shows me that they want to 
hide this from your people a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the big, uh, the big, uh, enemy in uh, North Korean uh, state propaganda is usually, I think, in so much order, you know, the United States and South Korea and Japan. And this is peace with the enemy. (laughs) The the Korean War... I'm sorry, go ahead. uh, You know, it it gives them plausible deniability, too, if anything breaks down. Like... In the same way that Trump wants to be considered a good negotiator, like mm-hmm. the supreme leader of North Korea is is like the Pope. He's, he's Superman. Um, you can't have situations where he's not Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. so if you advertise this and then it doesn't happen, some people who will eventually be disappeared and three generations of their families punished as a result, you know, might think that the Supreme Leader wasn't the best thing ever. When we talk about the effects uh, of this on here, one that I think has been overlooked in a lot of news is that through decades of presidents from both parties, the one thing that has held up the United States signing the, the Landmine Prohibition Convention has been Korea. We've had had Republican and Democratic presidents willing to sign it so long as they got an exemption for the Korean Peninsula or the Korean War ended. Uh, So if this Mm -hmm. actually goes through, that would be a major step. I don't know if Trump would be willing to sign it, but past Republicans have been and past Democrats have been. Mm -hmm. we, We talk about you know, chemical weapons being so widely uh, abhorred. Landmines are very nearly there. And getting a name as big as the United States on the, the prohibition would be a huge boon for that cause. So say, are, there that many, really are there that many holdouts beyond the United States? I, didn't I, I think don't believe many. so. We're the only major yeah. nation left who hasn't signed it. And mm-hmm. I believe Russia has held off so long as we haven't signed it. But they mm-hmm. lose that excuse after we've joined up. Right. All right. Well, uh, let's move on then to national news. Uh, you know, why don't we start with the weirdest shit on here? Um, Trump and Kanye have a bit of a bromance. <laughs> uh, in fact, Kanye just released a pro-Trump song today. It, it launched. If any of you guys oh, wow. had a chance to check it out, it's already up on iTunes. I have not. We need to play that on the outro, on the outro of this episode, I think. I'll, I'll see what I can do about getting a copy before I post the show. Um, Chance the Rapper also got involved in this a little bit and then pulled back. Uh, he posted a tweet that simply said, my bad, yo. And it contained... Oh, wow. That seems very appropriate. It contained oh, in picture form uh, a four-page letter, uh, open letter, basically talking about how Kanye is like a family to him. And uh, when he saw people jumping all over Kanye, he had to jump in, just like you'd jump in when your brother was attacked. But now that he's had sure. so to think about it, this is really stupid. <laughs> that's, that's basically the gist of it. That's amazing. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Um, I, Kanye does, and I, I do have to point this out, because... 
it's possible that we could be making fun of somebody who's going through something serious. Kanye does have a history, including a recent history, as recently as a few months ago, of mental illness. He recently, like I said, canceled the tour um, because of uh, some head issues that he's having. Uh, this is quite possibly a mental break he's having. Not to assume that anybody who you know supports the the Orange Emperor is going crazy but Kanye is a uh, well likely target for that right right yeah, yeah I was gonna say didn't he was one of the first people who came to meet with Trump also after the election was over so I guess yeah it's something it's, I mean they are birds of a feather I mean like that photo you posted of the whole dragon energy the scent of <laughs> flagrant self-promotion right like yeah nobody fluffs themselves up better than they do and i mean they've made a whole business and a brand on it each individually well akani has also over the course of his career made some fairly astute then <laughs> Dan, did the Illuminati get you? Oh, wow. <laughs> no. Uh, Dan actually died in the middle <laughs> of what sounded like promoting Kanye West. And nobody promotes Kanye better than Kanye, so Dan had to be silenced. You know, Kanye is a long-standing, astute political commentator. Let's all remember that George Bush doesn't like black people. <laughs> Well, maybe I mean, Dan's actually gone. Yeah, it Dan is one hundred percent possible. Yeah, you'll show back up. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, well, I hate. Do I, we want to I don't want to preempt his point, but um, I mean, the thing that's dismayed me most about this whole thing is, if you really like early Kanye before he went so egocentric, crazy, <laughs> really did do a lot of political and social commentary. Like if you listen to his first two, two or three albums, there's a lot of stuff on there that you wouldn't think would lend itself to ever supporting any Republican, much less many neo-Nazis are fine people, Trump. <laughs> yeah, it it seems to me like it would be a hard sell to the rap community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you'll find that it has been. Uh, he's been kind of pilloried all around, and that's saying something because you know Kanye is pretty easy to pillory. I mean, George Bush doesn't care, care about black people. I'm gonna let you finish. You, there's a lot of moments about Kanye where he's just incredibly easy to make fun of. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that actually kind of goes hand in hand with the flagrant self-promotion. If you're not know on board with the egoism that is probably the easiest thing to satirize in the world because it's such a, a universal touchstone yeah for sure that makes sense yeah All right. uh i guess we'll move on to uh well ronnie ronnie's no longer dr ronnie no longer head to be or no longer nominated to be the head of the va I apologize on that. I seem to have forgotten how to talk. A candy man. Yeah. 
Dan's posting in the Facebook group saying first we couldn't hear him and then he couldn't hear us and then his internet just what itself to death. Yeah, that's great. It just what itself to death. <laughs> oh no. All right. It doesn't know what music is anymore. <laughs> Nobody respects its lawn. Uh, this has largely come about uh, the torpedoing of the nomination because of concerns raised by mostly service members who had served with the, the doctor. He, uh, well, he crashed. According to the stories, he got drunk and crashed a government vehicle. Um, the White House has responded, actually, he crashed three government vehicles and he wasn't at fault in any of them. So I don't know if that's better or not. That's two more than the original allegations were. He also uh, would hand out medication. Uh, they called it a grab-and-go clinic. He'd have bowls of it out by the door. Um, further on the, than this, he kind of admitted to that way earlier, like a year ago in congressional testimony, where he talked about how much Ambien he gave people under all three administrations he worked for on planes just to, you know, make them happier, make it easier. But he handed it out like candy in his congressional testimony. So, you know, when it really comes down to it, I think he broke the news about himself if you go back and look at it. And one of the things that I've appreciated about this story is that, you know, uh, a lot of folks have pointed out he was well-loved by W. Bush and by Obama, like, and that there were mentions that he did the same kind of offering of pills at that point in time as well. Like just kind of really speaks to why there's such an uh, opioid epidemic. Like just <laughs> the idea that like, it's totally cool that doctors just hand out pills. Cause you know, prescriptions are for norms. Like that's for the straight folks, man. Like, why not just have a doctor get your shit it's cool and that is totally and exactly what was happening i mean also yeah. largely through real written scripts for people but yeah th this guy is just like a glaring microcosm of the problem with doctors right now in this country i i think that's a great point actually and it you're right that it does probably have something to do with why he was so like well regarded by uh previous yeah everybody of loves parties. their drug dealer <laughs> <laughs> like or at least nobody's gonna talk bad about him like <laughs> yeah um the the senator who mostly spearheaded this was john tester uh a democrat out of montana who's up for re-election this year tester is widely considered the most endangered democrat of the cycle but he was well, he was the most endangered Democrat of the cycle the last time he was up for election, and he won then. So, yeah, I, I got to feel like he's got better than 50-50 odds on this. However, Trump is, well, he's not mincing any words about it, talking about how much he won Montana by and how Tester is screwing him over and how the voters are going to figure that out if Tester doesn't resign before then. And by the way, he wants him to resign before then. I mean, I feel like probably having Trump go after you is good for your ratings and your polls these days, even in Montana. So, Yeah, and this was a real good thing to go after Trump about. Like, it wasn't yeah, standing in I the mean, way of a popular policy among people. He was standing in the way of some elite snob 
doctor for the president who turns out is kind of a sleazebag. I mean, and Montana's a working class state that deals with a lot of opiate addiction and uh, probably has some distrustment of uh, dirty doctors. Yeah, and they've, they're they a big mining state. You know, if he went after Trump on the steel curves, that you know would probably hurt his standing in the, the eyes of his voters. But on this, I don't see a downside in picking this fight. Yeah, it's like a good credibility producer. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any chance Tester resigns before re-election, and I think he's probably better than a coin flip odds to get re-elected, even though, like I said, if any Democrat loses his seat, he's the most likely to. So my my take on this story, and um, I don't know that it's a uh, rational take, but I really want doubts about Trump's fitness to start coming back now, now that we can question the judgment of the doctor who told us that there were no doubts about his fitness. <laughs> I don't think anybody really took that seriously from the beginning anyway. <laughs> no, but all the same, I kind of agree with Chris. Like, it's it's just, it's another thing to nickel and dime him on. To just, just poke the bear. And you know what? Maybe there's actually some explanation here. Maybe Trump seems so stable because whenever he was in that doctor's office, he was high on a handful of pills. <laughs> I mean, and the doctor was drunk, so, you know. <laughs> uh, Everybody was having a good time. Yeah, man, you're totally healthy. All right, I'll see you later. If, see you later. If the president does get a new doctor, and I think he will, undoubtedly, point uh one of the things i think people are going to look very closely at is if his height is fudged because uh ronnie <laughs> jackson's examination is widely suspected widely suspected to be a more or less a complete and total lie in the height uh it's the number that trump has said he is uh, it's the number that he's pinned a lot of, of things and campaign talk on uh, and it's a number that's not very believable because when he's stood next to people who are listed at the exact same height, it's appeared fairly substantially shorter. Oh God, it's so ridiculous. It's what the tiny dictators do. I, I will give you an even better one, JJ. His official weight, when combined with that height, that height gives a, a level of, of BMI where you'd be considered obese. The president's weight is half a pound underneath that, and that one is also widely considered to be a lie and just an excuse to not have to tell the president he's obese. And and what is that official weight? I'm not entirely sure at this point, but if he were the weight he is now at a shorter height, he'd be obese. So uh, okay. a lot of people thought that they, they fudged the height up both to stroke his ego and to avoid that label. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Uh, we'll move on to our next. Oh, so I have a question actually about yes, this. Sir. If either of you know, um, does Trump's doctor have to be a military doctor or could he hire, you know, that weird, crazy homeless guy in a white lab coat that people like put out as his doctor during the campaign? I'm not exactly sure he would be forbidden from doing that. Um, but there is an actual military billet for a physician to the president. So, and that's what I thought. Yeah. So I, I actually don't think there's law against it, but it's so baked into the assumption that, yeah, there's actually a position in the military for president's position. Yeah. Maybe that's what I too. think. I, 
Okay, but he but he can, so it's not like it's it's just one of those norms, not a law kind of thing. I'm pretty sure, and you know, I I very well could be wrong on that, but you'd have to do some pretty deep digging before you find out about that. And like I said, I don't believe there's a prescription uh, against him hiring his own physician. Maybe the military would promote their own too because they'll fill that billet, and then like if I know what happens after that. He could call the military doctor fake news. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, this week, Trump also went on his favorite morning television show, Fox and Friends. Um, there's a project... I think this is the craziest story. Yeah. There's a project that Media Matters for America have been doing, MMFA, where they are comparing Trump's daily tweets to the Fox and Friends uh, like show list for that day. And they've they've made some amazing, amazing work and discoveries on this. I highly suggest you guys go through it. He DVRs it, uh, watches it at an average delay of three hours, and he will he will pause it usually three times for about ten to fifteen minutes at a time while he watches it. And if you take all those things into account his tweets line up with each morning's Fox and Friends like fucking clockwork. It's so, uh, it kills me that we know this about him. I mean, like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, if you want to die even more, I will kill you some more with this. Those pauses we're pretty sure are for him to workshop his tweets because the tweets generally come in the last two or three minutes of the pause. And uh, it had never occurred to me in my life that the stream of excrement that this guy produces on Twitter every morning actually has been worked over by staff. Well, right, like the idea that like those gibberish half sentences that are all in caps actually took 15 minutes to workshop? Yeah. Like, I don't, I... Who this is, is like him when somebody in elementary school tells you tells you that they did their homework, but then the dog ate it or something. Like, no, I, I just don't buy that. There's, oh. <laughs> yeah. Who would this staff be? Is it like Stephen Miller and <laughs> right? Stephen Miller is actually pretty ascendant in the White House right now. You might not be wrong. <laughs> Does Trump hold it up to a mirror and just be like, "He's my staff. <laughs> He's the best. He likes it." <laughs> Uh, now, this week, the president actually called in, uh, did a, a pretty decent interview with them uh, in which he threw Michael Cohen under the bus uh, like six or seven times. Yeah. Really wanted to make sure he was crushed. Uh, pretty much obliterated him and Michael Cohen's argument about attorney-client privilege by talking about how little legal work Michael Cohen does specifically for the president, but also you know for people in general. I was not really... Know, a lawyer. Also, this is all his business dealings, and his business dealings are shady. Um, yeah, it 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 was bad for Cohen. Like, if Trump's wanting Cohen to turn state evidence, like, good job, buddy. But if not, you done fucked up. I mean, I'd say it was bad for Trump too. Like, that was not a good interview. That was that was thirty sec, like thirty minutes of like an old retiree yelling at the TV 
except he got to talk to the people on the TV and actually yell at them and just like ramble about whatever was on his mind. Like, JJ, from what I've heard, he does. We uh-huh. call that executive time. <laughs> yes, I, I know that it, it has a special time and that there's a special <laughs> meal that goes with executive time also. Oh, my God. Uh, you um, say this was a terrible interview, but the White House loved it. Of course they did. They have to. This is, you know, this is fascism. This is an authoritarian regime. They have to say it was the best thing ever. The White um, House communication shop is uh, pitching it to Fox and Friends as a monthly segment. They want to make saw, a sit-down with President Trump. I saw something Trump. passing about that. Yeah. I, I think Chris Hayes was on... Um, Oh, man, I saw an interview with him, and he said something to the effect of, like, Trump's been trying to get them to do this forever. <laughs> like, like this has been a standing offer from the White House for a really long time. Like, he really has wanted to do this, and people are have, have up until this point, been holding him back because they were deeply afraid of the shit show that it, in fact, came out to be. Um, you know, surprising nobody ever in the world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, God, I can't imagine Fox is going to take it on. Like, it would just be doomed. I mean, maybe Hannity would want to do that. But just the, I, I loved Reddit had a little, like, before and after photo of like a shot of the three Fox and Friends people at the beginning when the president calls and at the end and like they're just dead inside (laughs) just like completely defeated and frowned like all of the body language is just like no more oh my god old man why please let us go Seth Meyers uh, did that joke in video form uh, yes the other night too Yes, that's right. Yeah, and he was he was the guy that interviewed uh, Chris Hayes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, we will uh, get off the Trump controversy train and jump onto the Paul Ryan controversy train. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, under great fanfare uh, a couple of years ago, hired for the very first time a Jesuit chaplain uh, for Congress. Congress has an official chaplain. He blesses the the house before each meeting. He says a prayer. Um, it's technically not a First Amendment violation uh, because Congress is exempt from that in their own rules. Um, but also because it's a non-faith position, they they routinely have guest chaplains from other faiths uh, come in and give the the opening prayer. Uh, a Buddhist chaplain comes in fairly often. There's been a Hindu chaplain, um, even. Just after 9-11, there was a Muslim chaplain and uh, a three-faith uh, Jewish rabbi, Christian priest, and uh, Muslim imam blessing that they gave over the house. Uh, but Ryan, being a, a Catholic, uh, hired the first Jesuit chaplain in history um, and has now fired him, demanded his resignation, uh, apparently over a prayer he gave uh, just before the tax debate where he tells everybody to uh, think about the impact on the poor and the impact on the rich and spread the burden out as evenly as they can. Uh, and I guess this greatly upset Ryan. His staff went to uh, 
chaplain after the meeting and said, uh, we love you, Father, but you have to stay out of politics. And now Brian has demanded his resignation. And the father has uh, obliged, handed it in. Although he does acknowledge in his resignation letter that it was demanded and he wasn't doing it. Ayn Rand disapproved of the good father. It's a shame. Uh, this has caused a bit of consternation among both Republicans and Democrats. Democrats for the obvious political reason, uh, but among Republicans, especially Catholic Republicans, it's causing some feathers uh, to be ruffled. Uh, not enough that the House actually disapproved of the move, uh, although it was allowed on the floor and it was allowed to a vote. Uh, Ryan prevailed somewhat narrowly. Um, but yeah, this this is maybe something Ryan doesn't do if he's running for re-election. If he's trying to become speaker next session, he probably does not make this move. It's pissed off enough Republicans. That seems like a bad idea. But with him, you know, GTFOing out of town at the end of this session, uh, I guess he just doesn't give any shits left. Yeah, it seems like yeah, throwing a stink bomb in the room before you leave kind of a move. Um, the, the prayer didn't even seem that pissy. In fact, if I were a Republican, I'd probably like it. The equal burden spreading out equally really drives home their point that rich people pay more taxes. You know, surprise, surprise, it's because they have more money. But, you know, it's something they could twist their ideology if they wanted to. I don't see what was so offensive about the prayer. I mean, they're really into the whole prosperity doctrine, though. So, you know that equality thing sounds a little bit too much like socialism sure but it sounds a hell of a lot like a flat tax which is something they've wanted since the 70s that's true they could easily have spun that into that <laughs> you're absolutely right yeah. there. I wonder if that's no longer enough for them though you know how the uh, the rightward shift of the spectrum causes the rightward part of the spectrum to have to get even further right Maybe yeah. now no tax is the only acceptable position in their heart of hearts. Or like an inverted tax. <laughs> yeah. inverted Charge tax. the poor people more. Corporations pay 5%. Poor people pay 60 to 70% of their income. Because God, you know, fuck them. They should know better than be the poor. Jesus. All right. Well, uh, I guess we're going to flip to our last national story. And uh, the primary reason we brought Chris on here, Chris has been... Well, kind enough to read through uh, the majority report and the minority report from the House Intel Committee, and uh, I wanted to hear a little bit about what was in it. The House majority report came out uh, earlier this week. Uh, it was not good for the president, but it was the best it could be. Basically said uh, the president's staff did a lot of things they shouldn't have done, but it's not his fault and also no collusion. Uh, the minority <laughs> report has a lot more in it and the promise of more. So, Chris, why don't you break it down for us? Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? If you look at the top lines that came out of the um, the majority report, it was basically the no evidence of collusion and also that they kind of soft-pedaled, you know, definitely Russian interference, but all over the place, creating discord, kind of soft-pedaled the explicitly to benefit Trump part of it. 
And they even went so far as to say that they found that the intelligence community's assessment of that was lacking in rigor. That particular portion of their assessment. Yeah, because they liked the other intelligence community assessments. <laughs> so, so those are kind of the top lines. But then if you actually look into the details of the report, it's, uh, I mean, like one of the things that struck me is they spend about 15 pages enumerating various people in the Trump orbits, um, con contacts with WikiLeaks and contacts with Russian sources. And then what they continually say is, but there's no evidence that anything improper happened as a result. But, you know, meanwhile, <laughs> they've given us 15 pages of detail. Yeah, everybody in the Trump campaign was in contact with WikiLeaks. Everybody in the Trump campaign was in contact with somebody Russia related. But that doesn't have anything to do with what the Russians were doing. It's not collusion. They're just friends. <laughs> yeah. It's totally different, Chris. It's it's fine. They're just checking up, seeing how it's going, talking about braiding each other's hair. It's cool. It's no collusion. Colluders with benefits. I'm oh, back. He's oh, he's back. Damn. All right. So whatever we're talking about, I'm going to spend the next half hour talking about Kanye West. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris That's is walking fair. us through the two congressional reports, and uh, All right. we pretty much run through most everything except for the local stuff. Okay, great. So, Chris, continue. Okay, um, yeah, so one of the other things that is interesting in that whole no collusion section of the majority report, and then the minority report really picks this up and runs with it, is the thing that they use often in saying that there's no evidence of collusion is, well, we asked Donald Trump Jr., did you do X, Y, Z? And he said, no, I didn't. So, therefore. That's always <laughs> satisfactory. <laughs> therefore, he's innocent. <laughs> wouldn't take Trump Jr.'s word for it. And so the minority. Oh, my God. Yeah. Picks up, <laughs> you know, picks up the logical insufficiency of this, but then also backs it up with, by the way, we asked to interview these additional witnesses and they named the witnesses. And we asked to subpoena these additional documents, and they named the documents. And the Republican leadership of the committee said, no, we don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. So basically everything that you could have used to check the testimony of these witnesses and either back it up or else find contradictions in it is all the work that the committee didn't do under Republican leadership. The Minority Report also includes a note that uh, seems to indicate they're going to release a more full version at some point, that this is just a preliminary one. Yeah, they put that up front and they mention it several times um, that basically they wanted to get this out to correct what they saw as major misrepresentations, but that they don't mean it to stand as their final report and they plan to continue to develop their final report. Now, it's not entirely clear... I mean, they don't really address how they would go about it, but it's not clear to me with the committee itself having concluded the investigation and without them having subpoena power or anything like that on their own. I'm not sure how they would go about it. Uh, the next election? Well, yes. Yeah, at that point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my reading of that. It's, hey, guys, after November, we'll get back to this. Right. Right. The uh, the House report is out. The Senate report, um, that hasn't been released, correct? 
Right. Yeah. And the Senate, the Senate Intelligence Committee out of all the three investigations, they're the one that has the most truly bipartisan approach. You know, you get little rumblings of tension sometimes, but for the most part, you will see the majority and the ranking minority member on that report saying very similar things. It's and a, yeah, it's a very adult sort of investigation. I don't know if it's going to be as fruitful as the Mueller one, but in comparison to the House, it's like night and day. Yeah. And so one of the things I found myself wondering is, um, given the clear evidence of the House's, <laughs> if you read the report itself, you might think some of this is kind of shoddy. But then if you read the minority report kind of listing exactly how it's shoddy, that's really reinforced, is if the Senate Intelligence Committee goes over a lot of the same material and says something completely different than what the House Intelligence Committee said, I really wonder how that reflects on them. Not that I think they particularly care, obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, are there any repercussions for the majority and like not pursuing any of these leads that obviously would have been going somewhere? That... I mean, I'd hope so, but it's look around you. I mean, there was a Quinnipiac poll yesterday said for the first time, a true majority, 51% of Republicans believe that, quote, a free press is an enemy of the people, end quote. I don't know among their voters if they're actually going to be punished. One of the reasons why I'm really hoping to see this gerrymandered decision come down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's the... So that's the thing. You, you could get a thorough investigation if the House flips. You could also get an investigation of the investigation. I mean, I find these things on both sides of the aisle to get very tiresome after a while, but <laughs> that is something they could do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, back again, actually. Back it's again. Okay. This is, I have no idea what the hell is going on tonight. It's so bizarre. It sounds like it might be a Comcast thing. Uh, no worries. Um, we'll switch around then to our, our last topic of the week, and it's a local issue for down here in Portland. There's been a, uh, well, a kerfluffle with the Portland Marathon going on for now probably about a year and a half now. Um, the end result of that was going to be that the city was, uh, removed the person in charge of the Portland Marathon organization, put a board in its place, uh, wanted them to do the 2018 race, and then everybody was going to figure out something after that. Um, as it's happened, that's not going to happen. Portland Marathon Organization has dissolved itself. The board has stepped down in mass. They've announced that there will be no Portland Marathon in 2018. This goes back um, like 20 years now. Um, and the guy, uh, the man who was in charge of it, um, basically embezzled shit tons of money out of it. Uh, on the, the order of seven figures out of this, He'd been caught by the state a couple of years ago. Uh, the trial just ended up last year. He's been ordered to pay back close to a million dollars. He's also been removed from any company boards or residencies in the state for, I believe, for life. But that might just be a time-limited thing. Uh, the city has taken steps in recent years to make the Portland Marathon a, a destination marathon. They wanted to make it one of the premier races out there. Um, and this was basically blowing up all this money that they've sunk into it, trying to make this a destination event. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a big scandal down here. The city has plowed 
literally millions of dollars into the Portland Marathon organization trying to get this thing up to, to where they wanted to be. Ted Wheeler had made it a, a focal point of some of his early years of his administration. And this is just everything tumbling down. It, it's collapsed as fully as it possibly could have. Um, and I kind of put some of that on the city. I don't know what they were thinking of trying to get one more year out of this thing when they already knew this organization was completely boned. Um, I, I think it's irresponsible that they continued to plow money into it when they knew that it wouldn't continue. Uh, it, it just seems stupid. It seems utterly and utterly stupid. Um, and this is going to fuck with a lot of people. I mean, they had had some success in getting out-of-country runners, out-of-regional runners into here. It's a big event for the city's hotels and whatnot. Uh, tourism tends to spike. A lot of people have made travel plans already, and the fact that this has collapsed so late is, well, shitty. Super shitty. Um, and at the end of it, I, I think this is... I really wanted Wheeler as mayor because he had experience. He, he was a state-level uh, politician. He had been elected statewide. He had run the, the coffers of the state very competently this time as state treasurer. And after a string of, of fairly controversial mayors, you know, we, going back to Sam Adams, who was boning teenagers in office, uh, we've had some problems in the mayor's office. And I thought Ted Wheeler was uh, somebody who would at least be able to handle the money pretty well. And this sort of situation makes me think that I was perhaps naive in that. Damn. Thanks. Yeah, and, and you know, he went out on a limb with this. The, the city council and the, the city officials in the Parks and Rec Department and whatnot uh, went to the media with how surprised they were that Wheeler decided to try and squeeze one more year out of the Portland Commission. Uh, mm -hmm. Your own city government employees were rebelling against this decision, and then it blew up in his face as big as it possibly could. So, yeah, I don't know. There might be fucking investigations over this. We plowed a lot of money that we have no answer for where it went now. Yeah, and as you were just mentioning, he's just really started his term in the last year, right? This is kind of crippling for him going forward I would a think, little bit earlier he got elected uh like three or four months after we started podcast for the first time so he's been in office okay. for about a year and a half all right um but yeah and he's he's not making that many friends in office uh i have to say i i don't think this is the worst thing he's done so let's put that in perspective if you lose sure. a couple million dollars in a big city it, that's kind of par for the course that's He's got every administration is going to do that. So I'm not Just saying the he's, couch cushions. Yeah, I'm not saying he's the world's most terrible mayor, but he hasn't accomplished a lot, like really at all, uh, besides picking fights with some groups. And you know, there could be some of these are for a good cause. One of the fights he's picked is in my own neighborhood. Actually, they're putting in a, a homeless shelter down here, and it's caused the neighborhood association to go fucking ballistic. They, they have demonstrations out by the main road once a week or so in front of this place. They, I've had news cameras down by my local 7-Eleven because the homeless shelter is going up right next to it I, just about every weekend covering something or other about it. You know, And he's held to his guns on this, that we need emergency shelters. We need housing. And they, they bought an old 
Asian grocery store that had been closed down for a few years but turned it into a, a substantial shelter. And it's causing some neighborhood fights. You know, I, I can... I don't necessarily think picking fights is a bad thing. He's just picking them with every single group. He can a, a little bit. And I don't think that's really a good way to govern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's our local controversy. And that kind of wraps up the show, unless something's going on in Washington that I, I didn't catch up on. I didn't see anything major, unless I missed everything important that happened around me recently, but I didn't <laughs> see anything. No, I don't think any big events this week that come immediately to mind. Okay. Well then, uh, we'll we'll end this with the stories we're going to be following. I'm going to go first because I'm going to give JJ a, a very nice dose of schadenfreude here. Um, <laughs> I, during the primaries, I extensively uh, relied on the opinions and uh, analysis of Joy Reid, a African-American MSN, uh, MSNBC commentator. Um, especially I relied on her opinions when dealing about uh, Bernie Sanders' appeal to the African-American community. You may have heard her name come up before. Uh, It has now come out that she, before she became famous, before she was any sort of political analyst or commentator, wrote ridiculously homophobic shit on her blog. Um, She would caption pictures of Republicans holding hands, talking about how gay they were, uh, and this was at a time when she and, be fair, the majority of Americans were against gay marriage, but she used it as a point of mockery and not just a political slogan. She then came out with some claims that uh, her blog was hacked um, after extensive analysis using tools like the Wayback Machine, where these posts were archived literally just after they went up. Um, she got a lot of pushback from that. She then hired some cybersecurity experts. Uh, who found no evidence that she was hacked, and now she's claiming, I don't know. She says she doesn't remember writing them, but she has no proof that she didn't. Uh, it's caused a big big kerfuffle. She may have lost her job over this. Um, and I, I thought she was politically savvy. And like I said, I, I relied on her opinions, especially when talking about African-American feelings, uh, because I don't have those experiences. And so I have to turn to African-Americans that I trust, and she was one of them. And it, it turned out I the wrong person to to listen to she ended up being a fairly horrible person so i just wanted to throw that out there i'm sure jj will love to tell me i told you so i mean yeah i thought she was pretty cool i mean it sucks like no yeah no no i told you so you're cool (laughs) (laughs) we've all we're all kind of bummed out (laughs) i i think the thing that pisses me off the most uh you know if it did just come up and she owned up to it and it's like yeah that was 12 years ago i was a different person i've grown i i've changed i was dumb i would have been 100 willing to forgive her i was fucking stupid 12 years ago i know how that works you know mm-hmm. but when you go through this whole i was hacked thing make up all these excuses string people along when you know damn well you, you weren't you know, damn well, he just wrote some dumb shit when you didn't think it was that dumb because you were pretty stupid at that time. That happens to everybody. Just admit it. Just fucking admit it. We'll forgive that shit. Yeah. I mean, you have a president that admits to to worse. Yeah. Right? You know, people can do some pretty shady things. Some pretty awful things. 
as long as they grow up enough to be like, you know what? I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I, I'm just happy that they changed their mind. I really am. So, yeah, this whole thinking that if you you lie and dig deeper into this that somehow you'll write it out. I, I just find that so offensive. Okay. Well, that's my story I'm following this week, whether or not Joy Reid will have a job. What about you guys? Uh, let's see. I guess I'll point people in the direction uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation put out this really cool video uh, about police de-escalation using footage of the officer who stopped the uh, Toronto mass murder uh, last week. It's a really, really good video. I highly recommend people look at it. It's a single cop. Just takes, you know, takes control of the situation. Takes control of the guy. Yeah, it's, it's really great. It uh, is the standard training for Toronto police, and everybody's saying he implemented it to the fucking letter. Yeah, which, yeah, I mean, I, it, it would appear so. Yeah, it's really impressive. And I, I just, I kind of want to use that, because people talk a lot about how we can't really fix these issues. Like, oh, what the hell is you know, anger management training going to do, for example? But this stuff can really work. Police officers aren't inherently evil. As long as they're, they're taught what to do and actually follow through with it, it it's a good thing they're there. And I, I really love how good Canada has been on this. And part of that is probably the gun culture. They're not scared of being shot at in every single interaction. But a lot of it's just the training. This officer was trained well. He did it excellently and deserves a medal. Right. Yeah, it's it's an excellent counterpoint to how we talk about it here in the states. Yeah. Um, if anybody had, had seen the the video at all, I, I do I highly recommend you watch it. Uh, it starts with a a rather angry confrontation with a gun out, and with the uh, the man asking to be shot, trying to commit suicide by cops, saying he's going to shoot him, trying to pull things out of his pockets. And as soon as the police officer is like, homeboy's just fucking with me, he doesn't have anything, he swaps out his gun for, for his nightstick, you know, still able to deliver a weapon if homeboy attacks, but, you know, significantly lowers the temperature when you do shit like that. It's fantastic. I totally hijacked your segment there, JJ, I'm sorry. No, not at all. It's, that was excellent. It, I mean, it was, it's a good thing. People should talk about it. All right, who's next? All right, uh, I'll go next, I guess. Uh, so one of the, uh, I think, fairly uplifting things to see in a way is uh, the opening this week of the uh, memorial and museum for the uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama, and its related museum, the uh, Legacy Museum, covering the legacy from enslavement to mass incarceration in the United States. It's a very beautiful and moving memorial. I've uh, so far just seen pictures, but it contains just a number of columns kind of suspended over the visitor, uh, listing where available the names of victims of lynching from the late 1870s to the 1950s. Uh, it's just a very powerful, powerful uh, 
memorial, kind of evocative of the Vietnam War Memorial, actually, when I look at it, uh, in a region that's still struggling very hard to deal with a uh, very difficult legacy in a country that is struggling very hard with the legacy of race. And so while a lot of the national conversation about race is pretty terrible, white nationalists feel like they're crawling out of the woodwork, a very important memorial has just opened up uh, reckoning with our past. Uh, It's a real way to look at history of the United States and the history of race in the United States that doesn't try to whitewash what we've been through. Yeah, it. I saw the pictures and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I have not been in the deep south since I was a very young child. Did make another trip through there. I've never been. Mm-hmm. We uh, we lived in Florida for a while, um, and we moved from there to San Francisco when I was like five, and we drove the whole way. So uh, drove. Kind of along the, the southern uh, Gulf Coast. All right. Uh, how about you, Chris? Well, my the, there are so many kind of national and international things to be interested in, but my focus over the next two weeks specifically is actually going to be really local because our legislature here is uh, wrapping up their annual session. We have a very part-time legislature here. And... Um, so they're finalizing the budget, you know, they're finalizing work on a few bills. And the kind of things that are most kicking around are that there's um, there's a living wage bill, which is very likely to get through both houses. And then the governor is very likely to veto it. Um, there is another bill that's being worked on about universal primary care. Um, started off with kind of a commitment to publicly fund it and figure out how to do that. So not a plan on how to do it, but, you know, to make a plan on how to do it. And then it sort of became a study (laughs) of the whole concept. And now it's moved back into the study, but yes, we have to do it and we have to publicly fund it. So I'll be interested to see how that turns up. And the last kind of trick up the governor's sleeve here is that last year he vetoed a budget that had been easily passed by both chambers at the last minute, essentially because he wanted to do something to kind of mess with teachers unions. This is what it boiled down to. And this year he's already made a preemptive threat to again, veto the budget because of something to do with teachers. He really seems to have it in for the educational system, which is where you realize that he is a Republican governor after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do their best to hide it sometimes. So, Is he somehow uh, unaware of all of the strikes and protests going on? Because that it doesn't look like a good time to make a move against teachers. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll come back with uh, updates on those stories if there are any next week. Thanks for joining me, guys. Yep, yeah, sure. Have a good night, guys. All right. Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a great week. Have a great week. Bye.